Welcome, everyone. Thanks for uh, being here this morning. You can get your Bibles out and open to Matthew chapter 3. If you're new here, let me just introduce myself. My name's Ken DeLage, serve as one of the, the pastors. It's a joy to talk with you this morning from God's Word to study God's Word together. We're in a series entitled A King Like No Other, which, which is walking through the book of Matthew together. And it's a joy to get to do this with you. We're going to be picking up, as I said, in Matthew chapter 3. So I was, uh, I was out front last week uh, before church doing what I often do, which is just greeting everybody as they come in, right? And so, you know, you've got the things you say as greeter. And last week, one of the things I could say was Happy New Year, right? So, you know, Happy New Year. How was your week? And, and I asked somebody how their week was, and I was surprised by their answer because it was really honest, <laughs> And it wasn't a good week. And they just opened up and they shared with me right there about how the week was difficult. Um, it's not that I was surprised that somebody had had a hard week, right? That's not surprising. But maybe a little bit that they were willing to be open and, and to talk about it. So if I were to ask you, how was your week? How was your week? I hope it was good. I hope you could honestly say, not just fine, good, you know. But I hope you could honestly say, yeah, God met me this week in some particular ways. But even if it was a good week, I know the reality that this week you still had to face temptation. You still had to walk through being tempted to turn from God in certain ways and being tempted in ways that even if you didn't give in, you'd be embarrassed to speak of. And then you probably walked through some failure as well. Some of those temptations having yielded to having fallen into, and then seeking to repent and to turn back to the Lord. And, and then probably you've dealt with a certain level of suffering this week, what it looks like to live in this world. You know, we each walk a different path, um, and, and sometimes that almost seems to add to the suffering. Like we're the only one going through this right now, the only one walking through such deep waters and through such hard time. As we come to Matthew uh, chapter 3, for the first time in the book of Matthew, Jesus steps onto the stage. His childhood is over and his ministry is about to begin and he makes his first appearance. And there's this sense as he does so that there must be some mistake. Even John the Baptist is confused by, by what he's seeing in Jesus. John had expected this conquering Messiah, this strong Messiah, this exalted Messiah. John had just said a couple verses previous that Jesus was going to come baptizing in the Holy Spirit and in fire. And then Jesus shows up and he's he's humble. He's obedient and he's refusing to exalt himself. And and he's a man of sorrows. You know, what does it mean to be the son of God in this broken world? I want us to look carefully at this passage, this question about Christ, because the questions that everybody was asking, wait, how can this be the Messiah? How can this be the Son of God? Those questions still follow those who follow Jesus. They're still in the minds of those who follow Jesus. Those who are called children of God walk in the footsteps of the Son of God. And we often find his footsteps confusing and difficult. And even bewildering. Why am I walking this way? Why is this happening to me? 
So the, so the, the main idea this morning that we're going to consider together as we, as we look at this is what, is it, what does it mean to be a child of God? What, in, for, in Christ's case, what is the meaning of sonship? What, what did that mean to Jesus? And what should that mean for those who follow Jesus? So the passage we're going to look at is the baptism of Christ and then right into the, the temptations of Christ. We're going to pick up in Matthew 3, verse 13, and go about halfway through chapter 4. So let's read together uh, this section of Scripture, beginning with uh, Matthew 3, verse 13. Then Jesus from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. Jesus was baptized. Immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting forty days and forty nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to a holy city, to the holy city, and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command His angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministering to him. Let's pray. Father, we ask as we give attention to your word that you would you would enable me to proclaim clearly the meaning of your word. You would enable each of us to hear clearly, to apply well, to submit ourselves to you, even as your son submitted himself to you under what is written. So do your work and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, Jesus' first step towards his ministry was to start walking towards the Jordan River. He was up in the, the region of Galilee, which is north in Israel, and he, he walked southward and, and over to the east to the Jordan River where John was busy and had been busy preaching. And he came, it says, for the purpose of baptism. So he approaches John to be baptized. And understandably, John is not thrilled with the situation. Right? Uh, John, John is, has, has been predicting that Jesus would come. 
and that he's going to be the one who's, who's, who's powerful and who's, whose sandals John is not worthy to carry. And here comes Jesus saying that he wants to be baptized. And John says, I need to be baptized by you. That's how this should work. Right? You want me to baptize you? You are the holy one whose sandals I shouldn't be carrying. I'm the sinner. You're the one who baptizes in like the Holy Spirit and fire. I'm the water guy. You know? I should be baptized by you, Jesus. But Jesus answers, humble John, and says, no, it's, it's necessary for now. It won't always be this way. But for now, it's necessary that I can fulfill all righteousness. So that phrase, fulfill all righteousness, means that Jesus was intent on obedience here. He was, he was intent on obeying his Father. And so as, as we think about what does it mean to be the Son of God, it means to obey the Father. That's what sons do. They obey their, their Father. It meant obedience to him. And, and for Jesus, that meant it, it began with baptism. So a lot of folks would ask, did Jesus need to be baptized? Well, yes and no. Yes, in terms of obeying his Father. He needed to be baptized because God had, had said to him to do so. But certainly, if, if the question means, did he need to be baptized to, to sort of uh, show that his sins were being washed away? Well, certainly not. Uh, Jesus had no need of that. He is the Holy One who had never sinned. So why, why did he get baptized then? And, and, and I, th- I think that last phrase kind of captures it. He's the Holy One who had never sinned. So in a sense, he's not getting baptized for him. He's, he's identifying with sinners. That's what he's doing. Think about this. This is the first thing Jesus is doing as an adult. First time we see him. This is one bookend of his ministry. The other one is the cross. Right? And, and on both bookends, this is about identifying with sinners. Here he identifies with sinners through the baptism of water. There he identifies with sinners in a baptism of wrath. In both cases, he's, he's declaring by his actions that he stands with sinners, that he is here on behalf of sinners, that he's going to be working for the sake of sinners. So as he comes out of the water, the, the Holy Spirit descends upon him, equipping him in a unique way for the ministry that he was going to be walking out for the next three years. And the heavens are open and God speaks these words. He says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. This is, this is my son. This is the one whom I, I love. I am, I am pleased with him and, and I am pleased with the way that he walks out sonship on this planet. Watch closely. This is what's pleasing to me. So we, we, get, we get past his baptism and this loud declaration of sonship from heaven and Jesus is taken to the wilderness by the Holy Spirit to be tempted. It's interesting because the Holy Spirit, who had just come upon him, leads him to the wilderness. Have you ever been led to the wilderness by the Holy Spirit? It's possible to to be so. But God does not tempt his people, but God can use temptation, the temptation of his people, to test and try and strengthen his people. The, the enemy's goal in temptation is to destroy. God's is, is to build up. 
And so the Holy Spirit who had just, you know, you, you could kind of think, oh, boy, good. I've got the Holy Spirit now, you know, preparation for ministry and <laughs> driven into the wilderness to not eat for 40 days. So off, off he goes, and the first temptation comes to turn stones into bread. Now, the context is, of course, important, right? Jesus was baptized straight from there. He's out into the wilderness. So this is a desert. Uh, it says that he's fasting. So, so he, is, he is purposely giving up food as an act of worship unto God. And then Matthew says uh, in verse 2, And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Was he now? Wow. This is like, this is, this is an understatement of the year, you know? Like, and after fasting for, you know, three hours, I was hungry. Like for 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus was hungry. On one hand, it's almost humorous understatement. On the other, it's, it's really helpful for us. Because we have this right knowledge, right, that Jesus is fully man and fully God. Right. And knowing that we could almost think. I mean, how hard is that? You know what I mean? How hard is it to not eat if you're God? Right. But what this is showing us is that Jesus lived his life as man. He laid aside divinity for the purpose of this mission and walked out what he did as a human being. He suffered hunger for 40 days, as you would, as I would. Uh, and so at the end of this time, I mean, I know, I know how I am at the end of a long day. You know, at the end of this time, he was hungry. And the enemy loves to exploit weakness. And so he waits the full 40 days to show up. And he says, if you are the son of God, Command these stones to become loaves of bread. If you are the Son of God. See, this theme repeats over and over throughout this passage. God had just declared that he was the Son of God. And now the devil comes saying, if you are the Son of God. And there's different ways you could think about what the devil means by that. I, I don't think the devil had any doubt that he was talking to the Son of God. And I don't think he was trying to sow doubt in Jesus' mind that he was the Son of God. Jesus had just heard directly from the open heavens, that he's the Son of God. I don't think there was any doubt as to Jesus' identity. So what the devil's doing is not trying to get Jesus to doubt his sonship. He's trying to get Jesus to twist the meaning of sonship. What does it mean to be a son? He's tempting him to twist it and alter it, take advantage of it. Oh, oh you're the Son of God. Wow. You sure look hungry. God has a funny way of treating his kids, doesn't he? Hey, how, how about you take care of that? <clears throat> You're the son of God, after all. Certainly that has some, some privileges with it. Some rights must come along with such an exalted title. That isn't food a basic privilege? It's not even a privilege. It's a right. You have every right to do this. It's a need. It's a necessity. Jesus Sonship means it's okay for you to get some bread, if it means anything. Sonship means you should be able to satisfy your desires. You should demand that if you're the son of God. So here's the nature of the temptation. Satisfy yourself. 
based on the fact of who you are. Satisfy yourself. Demand satisfaction for your desires. Jesus responds by falling back to the Scriptures and declaring the Scripture. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. I will be satisfied by what comes from the mouth of God or not at all. Food is not what ultimately satisfies. What, how does this normally work? Normally, God satisfies us through food, right? I mean, you know, but could God satisfy us apart from food? Indeed, he could. Where does the satisfaction of food even come from, if not from the giver of that, God himself? I will be satisfied in God, and I will wait upon him alone. See, the devil's picture of sonship is that God's children should have all their desires met. That God's children should have all that they need and, and most of what they want. And the son paints a different picture. Trust God. Don't demand from God that he'll satisfy you. Trust God to satisfy you in his own timing and in his own way. So the devil now works towards his second temptation. His second temptation, he takes Jesus up on the, the pinnacle of the temple right in the heart of Jerusalem. So if in the first temptation, he is telling Jesus to demand satisfaction, and this one it is to demand safety. And he begins, if you are the son of God, there's those words again. If you are the son of God, throw yourself down and, and God will rescue you. And the devil even dares to quote the Bible at Jesus. He will command his angels concerning you. On their hands, they'll bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Here we are, Jesus, on the top of the temple. The presence of God dwells right here. This is the place on earth where God dwells. If you, if you were to fall, sure, certainly he would rescue you. Certainly he would, he would take care of you. The scripture declares that he would. Throw yourself down. God will keep you safe. Surely if it means anything to be the son of God, it means that God will keep you from harm. It means that God will protect you. It means that God will keep you safe and secure. Jesus refuses the bait, which was ultimately not to trust God, but to test God. And so again, quoting the scripture, again it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Jesus will not test him. He'll not demand bread. And he'll not demand safety either. So Satan, having failed at the, at the second temptation, is not done yet. And so he takes Jesus to a third location. Now, I think it's worth noting, friends, he takes Jesus to a third location. You get this? Your enemy's powerful. I mean, that's something. Like they were in, they started in the wilderness, then they were on the top of the temple, and now they're off to a mountain. The, the tempter's powerful. The enemy is, is strong. The devil takes him up on a high mountain and shows him the entire world, and he says, all these things I will give to you, all the glory, all the treasure, all the wealth, all the power, all the fame, all that you could possibly want, 
out of this world. I will give it to you. I'll give it to you right now. All you got to do is worship me. Devil promises the whole world to Jesus in exchange for his soul. Now, do you think that that the temptations were actually tempting to Jesus? Was, was he tempted by this? Now, what? Of course, Jesus didn't have that sin nature in him, right? That that we all have. But friends, these were these were temptations. You could, you could wonder, though, how could this be tempting to Jesus? Like, didn't he know he was going to get the whole world? Didn't he know, like, the day was coming when every knee would bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, that, that, that it would all be his? So what's the temptation, then, that Satan says it can all be yours if, if Jesus already knew that it would all be his? The, the temptation really amounted to a shift in timing and in means. Jesus, reach out and take it now. Reach out and take it now. You can have all the world without hunger. You can have all the world and stay safe. You can have all the world without suffering. You can have it all without the cross. That's what this is. You can have it all without the cross. The temptation of the enemy was a shortcut around Calvary. That's what it is. That Jesus would stop living for others and just, you're the son, just live for yourself. Take what's yours. You can have it right now. This would be power skipping the weakness. Wealth skipping the poverty. Honor skipping the dishonor. Life skipping the death that awaited him. See, the thrust of all three of these temptations is the same. Jesus, skip the cross, take the shortcut, do what's best for you. Why experience hunger? Provide for yourself. And Jesus resisted here, and he kept resisting, and he died thirsty on a tree. Why experience a lack of safety, Jesus? Throw yourself down. And Jesus knew he could have. And that at any time in his life, 10,000 legions of angels were at his command. But he didn't call them when he was lifted up on the temple. And he didn't call them when he was lifted up on the cross either. And why not have all that the world has to offer now? Take it. Do what you want. He resisted in the wilderness. He resisted in the garden, sweating great drops of blood. Not my will, but yours. Be done, Lord. And this is a passage of worship for the believer. As we get to see our Jesus walking through suffering and sunshine on our behalf. He endured suffering. He resisted temptation. He Submitted to the Father's will. And, and the first thing we've got to see is that he did this for us. He did this. He walked through this for us. It's easy. It's really easy to read this passage and to think, okay, this is like a prescription, right? On how I can overcome temptation, right? So when I'm tempted, I should quote the Bible back at Satan. Oh, I get that. Okay. I, I see that. And I, hey, 
If you're tempted and you can, you can go to the scriptures and stand on that, good. Do so. But if what you're seeing here, if you look at this and say, oh, I see, I'll do that, and then, then I'll be like Jesus, uh, you're missing the point. Jesus came and did this because we can't. Jesus came and did this because we didn't and haven't. And apart from him, never could stand and resist the enemy. So remember, remember this. As we read through the book of Matthew, from the first verse of Matthew to the last verse of Matthew, the main point of Matthew is not to show you how to live. It's to show you Jesus who lived for you. That's the point. That's the point of Matthew. And it's, it's just easy to, for us to like insert ourselves into the story. This story's about Jesus, not you. Right? It's about what he did. And he did it for you on your behalf. See, I, th- I trust we're familiar with the idea that when Christ went to the cross, it wasn't for him. It was for you. He, he died as our substitute, that he could take the sin that was ours and, and remove it from us forever. That's what he did in his death. Your friends, in his life, he was a substitute in his life, too. See, when, when he did this, he overcame temptation and earned before God a righteousness. He, he, he walked through what, what the people of Israel had never done, what we've never done, and resisted perfectly, and trusted his God perfectly, and he is the well-pleasing son of God, as he did so. And why did he do that? So that he would have a righteousness that he could give to you. Because he knew he didn't have that. This is, this is the work of Christ, right? One, taking our sin away. Two, granting to us what we could not have earned, the righteous standing before God. And that's that's what he did did here. So have you failed to overcome temptation? Then the first thing we need to see is that he succeeded in your place. He succeeded in your place. Have you fallen before the enemy? Your champion stood strong. Have you bowed the knee to this world? Your hero bowed the knee before God and God alone. And he alone receives the worship of Christ. Praise God for the person of Jesus Christ who came for us, who lived for us, who conquered right here for us. It is good for the followers of Christ to want to be like Jesus. That is is a good impulse. Let's be about that, friends. But let's make it a rule in our heart. Before we imitate Jesus, let's contemplate Jesus. Before we work, let's worship. Before we perform, let's praise. Because that's what this is about. This is about our conquering King Jesus and his victory for us way before it's about us learning to be victorious in our lives. It's about him. So praise God for what Jesus has done. So that's our first application then this morning. How many of you know that one of the most frequent applications in the Scripture, as you read the Bible, is ought to be worship? Worship. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus, for what you did. That's the first application. But then, then the next one, 
I think falling right out of that, Lord, then I want to worship you with my life. I do want to follow. I do want to resist temptation. I do want to be found worthy of, of this calling to which I've been called. Help me walk as a child of God, as a son of God, after the son of God. So what's that look like? I think the first thing is it looks like knowing we have an enemy. Knowing that the enemy is at work, that the enemy is powerful. It's it's so hard, I think, to maintain that mindset that, that I wake up in the morning and somebody hates me. You know what I mean? Like, I wake up in the morning on a battlefield. It doesn't feel that way oftentimes. Friends, we do have an enemy who still roams and still roars and still lies and still tempts. We should expect that. But also, it looks like understanding what sonship is supposed to look like here. The disciples of Jesus are supposed to walk in his footsteps. Children of God walk like the Son of God. That's what we're aspiring to. A, a, a servant's trying to be like his master. Servant never becomes greater than his master. Some some basic ideas that if, if Jesus suffered, if Jesus was tempted, then perhaps we will be as well. There's there's an entire stream of thought within Christianity today called prosperity theology. Perhaps you've heard of it. It proclaims that God's children are to be the head and not the tail. To be victorious in their life. To be rich and not poor. Healthy, not sick. Prospering and not struggling. I wonder, back when Satan was tempting Jesus, I wonder if he realized just how much he would sound like a prosperity preacher. Oh, you're the son of God. You shouldn't be hungry, man. You're the son of God. You should be safe, never in danger. You're, you're the son of God. You should have the whole world at your footstep. That's what it means to be the son and have God as your father, after all. Perhaps Satan would be ashamed at how much he sounds like a prosperity preacher. Of course, that's called sarcasm. Those who preach that are echoing the enemy. That's what it is. You can, you can trace the theology right back here. The twisting of sonship into a today kind of prosperous kind of thing that Jesus knew nothing of and fled. You know, the next time Jesus would encounter Satan that we're aware of, is when he told his disciples that he would have to go to Jerusalem and suffer. And Peter says, no, not you. You don't need to suffer. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. And part, part, of, the, part of the call we have as, as believers is, is to follow after the suffering servant. To follow after the Son of God as he shows what sonship looks like. And he gets to define that us that what that looks like so what is what is sonship look like it looks like trusting god 
in hunger. Not always in hunger. My goodness. Praise God. He is good and generous to his people. Right? And in fact, I love how this passage ends because, you know, Jesus is like on the battlefield going at it with Satan. And like as soon as Satan leaves, what happens? Angels rush in. Rush in. They're there immediately attending to his needs. He's well fed in the middle of the wilderness. You know, there was not a McDonald's nearby. There was no hope that he was about to have a meal and God provided miraculously for him instantly. Our God is a good God. We trust him when we're full. We've got to trust him when we're hungry. Trust God in our safety. Trust God in our danger. Trust God when he gives you the world that you want, the way that you want it, when you want it. And trust him when he says, wait. Or worse, no. Sonship is not demanding. It's depending. It's trusting in God. At times, God will deliver you from sickness. And at times, he will walk with you through sickness. At times, he will keep you from poverty. And at other times, he'll keep you through poverty. At times, God will will keep you from temptation. At other times, he will keep you right through temptation. Ours is not to dictate the times. Ours is not to demand the circumstances. Ours is to trust the Father at all times and depend on him in all circumstances. That's what his kids get to do. And friends, there is an opportunity to glorify God in this way far beyond what the prosperity heretics will tell you. Far beyond that. Anybody can worship God when life is good. You know? Now, I, I got to admit, I like it when somebody scores a touchdown at the Super Bowl and they give glory to God. You know, I, man, that's great. But not that hard. You just scored a touchdown at the Super Bowl. You know, how hard is life? You know? But to glorify God in hunger and to say that I trust Him in my poverty and to declare that He is good in my sickness, friend, there is a glory that ascends to God that that is rich and beautiful and wonderful. Jesus glorified His Father in the wilderness by refusing the lies of Satan and trusting the goodness of his God, even when he couldn't see the goodness of his God. He really hadn't eaten, right? Like there really was hunger pains. It really was difficult. Yet he saw beyond that to the goodness of his God that still I will trust. Friend, still you can trust. Regardless of where he leads. Here's the thing. He's leading. And and you want to know the, the big difference between your wilderness experience and Jesus? Jesus walked through that, and it was him, and it was the enemy. When you walk through that, it's you, it's the enemy, and it's Jesus. Because he is with us always to the end of the age. Praise God for that. He didn't just walk this once. He's walking it again and again with each of his saints, giving us what we need. 
to follow God, giving us what we need to grow in grace, giving us what we need to overcome temptation, giving us what we need to give glory to God the Father. Praise God for Jesus Christ. May Jesus be exalted among us, church. May Jesus be exalted in each life here as he leads us on whatever path he leads us on. May he be exalted. Let's pray. Lord, my heart is is moved to pray this morning for those who are particularly aware of the difficult edge that sonship can have. For those who are suffering, hurting, for those who've been walking in, in sickness or difficulty or even repeated temptation. Jesus, thank you that you walked in our place, that you conquered in our place, that you were victorious in our place. But thank you also that you walk with us, in us, among us. Lord, would you strengthen each of your people? We are dependent upon you. But you are mighty God. So strengthen each one here, strengthen each of us, that we would give glory to our Father in the good days and the bad days, to walk out trusting you in all that you lead us through. Father, make much of Jesus in our midst as we do that to your glory. In his name we pray. Amen.